Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> that's great to hear. Holy cow, that's awesome. Um, I, I just have to say how humbling of an experience it is for me to be up here today, and yet, through all that humility and everything, I got told right before I came up here that the faster I get done preaching, the sooner I get to eat. So that was literal advice I was given, so I will try my best. I know we're all hungry. We got the VBS meeting. I know. I mean, um, but uh, as Pastor Zach said earlier, as it says in your bulletin, I have been blessed with the massive opportunity of being able to uh, serve as a pastor intern here at Grace, and I must say that I have enjoyed every single second of it uh, for the first three weeks now that I've been here, two weeks and six days actually, so it's just been such a blessing to serve alongside Zach, to serve alongside JC and Laura and everybody in between, like it was just, it has been awesome, and so I've really enjoyed it, really enjoyed getting to meet all of you, and I look forward to getting to meet you all more throughout the summer and onward through that as well. It is no secret, though, that America has been in a bit of turmoil, and it is no secret that our world has really been in a bit of turmoil. And it's no surprise to us, because we know that we live in a sinful world that each one of us was born into, separated from God for all eternity, with no hope of salvation. And fortunately for us, God is merciful and gracious in that he has sent his Son to die on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead, defeating death, and ascend to his right hand, full of grace and truth, that those who might believe in him would have eternal life. We just got done singing about this hope that we have in a world that is dark and full of turmoil. We have eternal hope in Christ. For most of us here, by God's grace, our eyes have been opened to see Christ's glory, and we have been saved, justified, sanctified, and will one day be eternally glorified in the presence of our God. And because of this, we have hope. But we also have a message to be shared, a message that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pierces the callous hearts of the unbeliever and leads them to salvation, just as it had saved you. And we have been charged to share this message with each other as encouragement and with others who are unbelievers all across the world for their salvation and the glorification of Christ. However, we fail too often to share the message that we so greatly treasure as if it was only meant for us. According to Bible.org, 80%, 80% of all Christians do not consistently witness for Christ. Less than 2% are involved in the ministry of evangelism, and 71% do not give toward the financing of the Great Commission in their respective churches. And we wonder why our world is the way it is. We wonder why souls are being lost, why the number of Christians are shrinking, and why churches are closing, while we neglect one of the most simple commands that God has given us to tell them about Him. We need to obey Him, and we need to share the gospel. As Paul says in Romans 10, How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. These verses tell us the remedy to our lostness, and it is by preaching Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel. 
This desperate need for evangelism is why we, as a church, have decided to go through this short three-part series that I get to head up for some reason, and with you, uh, which I have entitled Humbly Heralding the Gospel. You see, while there are many different places you could turn in Scripture to discuss evangelism, and also many ways you could tackle this topic, the Apostle Paul gives us the motivation, the approach, and an application of evangelism, both theologically and practically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In the three Sundays I get to preach this summer, we will learn from Paul that there is a necessity to humbly herald the gospel. There is an approach to humbly heralding the gospel. And lastly, there is a need to live a life that is reflecting your humbly heralding the gospel. Today we will dive into the necessity that we have to humbly herald the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. And the outline for today's passage is the rights in verse 15, the requirement in verses 16 and 17, and the reward in verse 18. The rights, the requirement, and the reward. And I hope by now, we've been so graciously reminded every week that you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Um, I know that Zach tells us that, so I, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 18. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, writes these words. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for the necessity has been laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching, I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. This is the word of God, a lamp unto our feet, and a light unto our paths. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for allowing us to come together today as your people to worship you. We thank you for graciously revealing yourself through your word and enlightening our eyes that we may understand what you have to say to us. Father, I pray you would let my words be consistent with what your word says, that I would not add, I would not subtract from your word, but that it would be clearly communicated, the message that you have for us today. And Lord, finally, it is my prayer that your spirit would preach a better sermon in the hearts of these people here today than I will preach. We love you, Father. Help us to grow, to love you more from this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. First, we have the rights, the rights which is found in verse 15, chapter 9, verse 15. Paul indeed was an apostle due to his encounter with Christ uh, on the Damascus Road, recorded in Acts 9. And as an apostle, Paul recognizes that he has certain rights that ought to be given to him. He has rights or claims simply because he is one commissioned by God to preach the gospel. For context, Paul in chapter 8 discusses rights with the Corinthian church, specifically 
the right that they have to eat meat sacrificed to idols. An issue that apparently was very prominent in uh, the Corinth church that day. You see, the Christians at Corinth knew their right to eat meat, even though it was sacrificed to idols, because idols are simply a conglomeration of different dead materials, and those materials have no effect on the meat, and thus no effect on the people who are eating the meat. But it was causing those who were babes in Christ and also the unbelievers in the area to stumble in their faith because of the fact that they still had convictions regarding the meat sacrificed to the idols. So Paul tells the Corinthians to follow his example in forfeiting rights we have in the gospel for the sake of the furtherance of the gospel. And in chapter 9, Paul continues that conversation in the encouragement to keep the gospel at the forefront of all decisions, no matter what your rights are. He's showing them, this is why I've told you, I too follow my own advice, believe it or not. And if we go back and we read verses 4 through 6, which we read this morning in chapter 9, Paul says he had a right to get food and drink from the churches he worked for in verse 4. And in verse 5, he has the right to take a believing wife for help in ministry and in finances. And he also has the right in verse 6 to not have to work a second job and only get his provision from the churches that he works for. And Paul, in the following verses, really hammers the point home that he really ought to have these things. These are his rights. And he first appeals to logical reasoning in verse 7, saying, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating anything of its fruit? Who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Basically, who on earth do you Corinthians know who puts their life on the line and doesn't get paid for it? Who do you know that tirelessly works and stewards a garden of any kind without being able to enjoy the fruit? And who on earth shepherds a flock of any cattle that gives milk and doesn't get to enjoy the milk of the flock they are shepherding? In other words, the one who tirelessly works, shepherds, leads, plants, and takes care of something, they always reap provision from their labor. To those of you who garden, that's a lot of work, isn't it? You work and you work and you have to make sure that you plant at the right time, that you weed the garden constantly, that you protect it from all the critters that want to eat all your, your, all your fruit, And there's just all this work that goes into every single day keeping this garden and making sure the plants grow so that what happens? So you get the fruit. And so you can see what Paul is saying here, that those who labor get the fruit from their labor. Paul continues to put an exclamation point on his argument, and he refers to God. He refers to the law. In verses 8 through 12, Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? You should not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? So Paul refers to the law basically saying, in summary, even the ox is provided for the work that it does. And so how much more should the children of God doing the the work of God, especially an apostle like Paul is, be provided for when he does the work of God? Shouldn't the Corinthians as the vineyard, the sheep, the grain being tread out, the ones being preached to and led by Paul, shouldn't they be paying Paul for his labor? Then down in verse 13, he uses an analogy regarding how the temple workers get provisions from the temple, and he concludes in in verse 14, in the same way the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Paul pointed out that both logically and scripturally, he has the right to require 
payment and provision. It was his right to do that. However, even though Paul has every right to secure provision, to have a wife as an apostle, and to not work a second job, he chooses to not take advantage of these rights for the sake of the gospel. And in the next phrases, with reference to his rights and the gospel, we see the first steps to humbly herald the gospel, or they're already on the screen, to, uh, by first Paul's posture, and then next by Paul's pleasure. Paul's posture and Paul's pleasure. So first... Paul's posture in verse 15. Twice we see Paul's posture towards his ministry of sharing the gospel. First in verse 12 when he says, We have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And again down in verse 15, But I have, not made, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul does not make use of his rights, but rather he endures all things, and he would rather die than put an obstacle in the way of the free gift of the gospel of Christ. Paul is displaying self-denial, and that he not only would endure any amount of physical harm or starvation or homelessness, but he would actually prefer dying than hindering the gospel in any way even if it involves giving up rights that are rightfully due to him. In verses 14 and 15, the use of the word living in verse 14 and die in verse 15 is actually a parallel. Paul is making a parallel between living by the gospel and dying for the gospel, and he's literally saying by doing that, I would rather die for the gospel than live off of it. In other words, I would rather starve to death from the lack of provision while being able to preach the gospel freely than ever hinder the gospel by making money off of it. Hence, Paul's posture that we see is one of humble submission to the gospel. Humble submission. As in, he submits his entire life and everything he has to the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel. But why? Why does Paul deny himself and give up everything for the gospel? Well, because he understands, he has a deep understanding of the nature of the gospel. He understood that he was saved only on account of the perfect work of Christ and nothing else. Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the what? It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Paul knew very well that he had nothing to do with his salvation, but it was only by the pure mercy and sovereign grace of God that he is not going to hell when he dies. Without God, we are helpless. And that is humbling. And that is the nature of the gospel. Second, Paul also understood the example of Christ's perfect humility in the gospel. He understood that humility was the M.O. of the gospel. It's painted all over it. The gospel and humility are synonymous to Paul because the because humility and Jesus are synonymous to Paul. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ was the ultimate example of humility. And we see again Christ's humility in Mark 10, 43 to 45. 
But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ humbled himself more than we ever could and has called us to that life of humility devoted to him. The great among you must be your servant. The first among you must be slave of all. Why? Because the Son of Man who has saved you did exactly that. He is calling us to pick up our cross and follow him, as Matthew 16 says, and Paul is obeying this command. And he's setting an example for us in doing so. What rights do I have? I have rights to absolutely nothing except hell, and if it wasn't for Christ, I wouldn't have anything. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me, and thus it is for him that I must live. Paul had never made use of his rights, and he will never make use of his rights because he understands and wholeheartedly believes the gospel. He has no regard for his own well-being on this earth and only regard for how well the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spread. So we see that for Paul, humbly heralding the gospel to others must first come through a humble posture. And that humble posture only comes through a proper understanding of the gospel. But through Paul's posture, we also see Paul's pleasure, his pleasure. Looking at the end of verse 12, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of gospel of Christ. In the end of verse 15, I would rather die than anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Paul, understanding the gospel, not only helps him be in humble submission to the gospel, but it also helps him have the proper pleasure in life. Paul's boasting that he refers to was not a prideful or self-centered action, but this was reference to his ultimate satisfaction and comfort of preaching the free, powerful, soul-saving gift of the gospel for free, no strings attached, putting no obstacles in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was Paul's satisfaction. It was his comfort. It was his pleasure. Why? Because Jesus Christ in the gospel was his greatest pleasure. In order to understand how this was Paul's pleasure, it takes a deeper understanding of what Paul means by, I would rather die than anyone deprive me of my grounds for boasting. First, Paul here is masterfully contrasting his boasting with the boasting of the false teachers of the day. In 2 Corinthians 11:10 through 13, Paul says, As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And he continues, What am I doing? What I am doing, I will continue to do, boasting in the gospel, in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim in their boasted mission that they work on the same terms as we do. For such men, the men with the boasted mission, are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Paul here, in using the term boasting, is setting himself apart from the false teachers who were characterized by their boasting, but their boasting was as in their prideful greed because they preached the gospel solely for money, solely for the acquisition of funds. Paul obviously condemns these people who see the gospel as some sort of business venture or valuable currency or some sort of thing that they can trade and benefit from. And so by not using his rights to be paid, Paul sets himself apart 
so that he cannot even be accused of preaching the gospel for improper motives. Or in other words, he set himself apart so he would not be deprived of his ground for boasting. To possibly make his ministry less effective by putting doubts in people's minds regarding whether or not he truly was preaching the gospel for the right reasons. That would obviously be a hindrance to the gospel. Paul's grounds for boasting was being able to preach the gospel free of charge, unlike the false teachers around him. And he was willing to deny himself to ensure that he could still boast in that free gift. To share the free gift of the gospel for no price at all, it was his pleasure, it was what satisfied and comforted him, knowing that he was putting no bounds on the exaltation of Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. Also, we can understand the term boasting by using Paul's Bible. In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Paul would have been using and would have been familiar with, the word that Paul uses for boasting occurs as something that arises out of a loving response to a gracious God. This is not the only time that Paul uses this word for boasting. Um, As he used it earlier in this letter in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul is pulling down to earth the proud Corinthian believers who are boasting in men, the men who baptize them. He's pulling them back down to reality by giving them a gospel 101 lesson, and he's reminding them that it was not by the foolishness of their wisdom that they were saved, but it was by the wisdom of God in Christ that anyone is saved. And so he concludes in verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. As in, this thing that is supposed to be a loving and gracious response to God, this boasting, do not misplace it on men, but only give it to God. Once again, Paul understood the gospel. He understood the very simple truths of salvation and was able to come to the conclusion that the only boast he can make is in the Lord and his free gift. We see again here that Paul's grounds for his boasting have not changed. He gets to preach a gospel that is freely given by God to him without anything that he has to do in return, which allows him to not just give it to others, but to freely give it to others. That is his boast. Paul gives up all rights and is willing to do so even if it causes him to die. Why? So his ministry of preaching the gospel, a free gospel, is not tainted, which would cause the gospel to not be spread. Paul's pleasure was preaching the gospel for free because Paul's pleasure was the free gospel of Jesus Christ. In comparison with uh, the surpassing worth of both Christ and the gospel and sharing that free gift with others, Paul sees any rights that could even come close to inhibiting the furtherance of of the gospel of absolutely no value. The only thing that is valuable to Paul is the thing that helps further the gospel. Hence, the things that actually promote the gospel are always greater than the rights that we might have. Indeed, to Paul, they are even greater than the life, than life itself, his right to live, so to speak. Paul's singular pleasure, the thing that provided him comfort and satisfaction was not money nor a wife, nor the freedom to not work a second job. It was preaching the gospel as a free gift that it is. So what have we learned so far? Humbly heralding the gospel to other people should not be inhibited by anything, especially our rights. We must be humbly submitted to the gospel, imitate the humility of our Savior, and share it as our greatest pleasure. We must understand that whatever rights we might have cannot become hindrances to our personal evangelism. 
Instead, we must go out each day with our lives completely, humbly submitted to the gospel, understanding that since we have been given the free gift of the gospel, we ought to give it freely to others. Doing this will allow us to recognize and remove any hindrances that may be an obstacle to the furtherance of the gospel. And I know that we're all not preachers, and we don't get to get up in a pulpit and get paid to preach. So that's not a right that most of us have. And so we can't really directly apply what Paul is saying about himself. But the passage is an application for us, because I think I heard somewhere recently that every member is a minister. And every one of us is a minister of the gospel of Christ. And Paul is showing us, as he is the Corinthian believers in chapter 8, that we do have rights and freedoms as Christians that we cannot allow to inhibit our personal evangelism. And he is calling them and us to give up anything, even rights that we think that we cannot give up to further the gospel, to keep the gospel at the forefront of all of our decisions and of all of our conversations. To let it loose, no restrictions, let everyone know about it. So I'm going to ask you this morning, do we allow rights that we might have to get in the way of us sharing the gospel with others? What rights do we abuse in that way? Are we allowing the things that other people do that make us uncomfortable and, and, and us feel reserved to get in the way of us actually evangelizing? As in, do we turn our noses up at people who live a different lifestyle than us and that, that really bothers us and so we basically say that you're not worth sharing the gospel with? Is it something else? Is it coolness? Whatever that means. Is it fitting in with the crowd? Is it comfort? Is it avoiding conflict? Do we water down the gospel or do we not share our faith because we want to avoid getting in conflict with with somebody else? What are we willing to give up for the sake of the gospel? Paul was willing to give up things rightfully due to him, even his own life. His priorities were straight, he was humbly submitted, and he took great pleasure in sharing the gospel with others for free. No strings attached. Matthew Henry says on these verses, it is the glory of a minister to prefer the success of his ministry to his interest and deny himself that he may serve Christ and save souls. Be humbly submitted. Take great pleasure in sharing the gospel. Next, we have the requirement So Paul gives up his rights to ensure that there were no obstacles to the gospel, that there would not be any hindrance to his ministry of furthering the gospel. He shows his humble submission to the gospel as his pleasure. But why does a humble submission to the gospel, an understanding of Christ's humility, and even hearing and reading Christ say that in order to be first, you must be last, how does all of that translate into actually going out and fearlessly sharing the gospel? What is the connection? Could it be possible for someone to hear and be humbled to the point where they express faith in Christ and thus have seen him as their highest point of satisfaction and pleasure and yet not take the pleasure of sharing him with others? Well, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, when was the last time that you took the pleasure in sharing him with others? Is the gospel at the forefront of your mind and on your lips constantly? 
I know it's not true for me. In the polls that we looked at earlier, 80% of people don't evangelize. And so the answer to that question is yes, it is possible to have those who have been humbled by the gospel to the point of salvation and thus have seen it as their greatest pleasure, but do not take the pleasure of sharing it with others. In verses 16 and 17, Paul explains what makes that connection. He says, For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Paul first clarifies for us that simply preaching the gospel is not his boast. But it is preaching gospel for free, without obstacles. That, it is, that is his boast. The clarification is, is necessary because Paul is saying that preaching the gospel itself is something that is required. Preaching the gospel is the requirement. Why would he boast in something that he must do? No, he boasts in something that he did not have to do, which was forfeiting his rights for the sake of the gospel and humble submission to the gospel as his greatest pleasure, what we just talked about. So Paul is breaking down to the foundational truth that he is required to preach the gospel. The necessity has been laid upon him. So what is that? Paul is pointing us to obedience. We need to remove all obstacles from the gospel for the furthering of the gospel, sure, but we need not forget the requirement of sharing it with others. The connection between one who is in simple, humble submission and thus removes obstacles from the gospel and actually sharing the gospel is the act of obedience. Granted, Paul's situation is much different than ours. He literally came face to face with the resurrected Christ, got blinded on the Damascus Road, and it was audibly told by the Son of God, go and preach the gospel. Last time I checked, I'm pretty sure none of us have had this experience. However, those of us who were saved had the eyes of our hearts open to the glory of Christ and the gospel and were commissioned by God in Matthew 28 and other places to go and to make disciples of all the nations as those who have been saved by him. Thus, I want us all today to see, if nothing else, if you forget everything else I said, I want you to see the requirement it is for us to share the gospel as those who have been saved by the gospel. I want us to see that like it was for Paul, sharing the gospel is a matter of obedience to God. It is a requirement from God that we must obey. To see this, we are going to look at and compare two calls on Paul's life and also on our lives, specifically the call from above and the call from within. The call from within and the call from above. So first, the call from within. Paul says in verse 16, the necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. One commentator writes that this necessity that Paul is talking about is speaking of an idea of some inward constraint from the call of God to preach the gospel. An inward constraint. It actually has connections to what the prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, when he says, If I say, I will not mention him, God, or speak any more of his name, what happens? There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones. Jeremiah could not contain the word of the Lord pent up within him. He had to share it. 
And Paul is using this wording in the same way to show that just like that, the good news of Jesus Christ is pent up inside of him and he cannot keep it inside. He must share it. It It's like a raging fire burning inside of him that he must let out. Paul's motivation for sharing the gospel was not money or his ground for boasting or the ability for him to have a wife, but it was the inner compulsion that came from God in the gospel. Upon salvation, you become a person that is filled with this fire. There are several examples in Scripture. One of them is in 1 Thessalonians 1. We see that this exact same fire spill over all over the world right after the Thessalonians got saved. Paul commends them for their unbelievable testimony in verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The Thessalonians, upon salvation, spilled over with the fire that was, burnt, that was kept up inside of them of the gospel of Christ. In Isaiah 6, after seeing the Lord high and lifted up on his throne and in all of his glory, upon the Lord, in asking in verse 8, Whom shall I send? Isaiah, filled with awe after seeing the Lord's glory, in compulsion immediately says, What? Here I am, Lord, Send me. He had an inward compulsion after seeing the glory of God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The knowledge of the fear of the Lord directly connects to us persuading others. Another great example was the blind man in John 9, the woman at the well in John 4. In both of these accounts, Jesus miraculously heals and saves the blind man and the woman at the well, and they immediately do what? They go out and they tell everyone they know. They could not help but share the news about this Jesus guy who saves the lost and heals the sick. So what is the consistent theme? A faith that is real is a faith that naturally shares the gospel. A hidden faith is no faith at all. If you have been changed, saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, then you will want to share the gospel with others. It'll be a fire in your bones and you will not be able to contain it forever. You are under compulsion to. Paul shares the gospel with others. He evangelizes because he feels compelled by the call of God on his heart through the gospel to share. Paul obeys the call. So obey the call from within. That was the call from within. Next is the call from above in verse 17. Paul says in verse 17, For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. Earlier in this letter, in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2, Paul says, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul realized that in his encounter with Christ, he was given the gospel to steward it to others through him faithfully sharing it with them. He was called to share the gospel, steward it to others through him faithfully sharing the gospel with them. And once again, although we did not get blinded by a literal face-to-face encounter with Christ, we have been commissioned by God given a stewardship by God several times 
throughout the Bible, this call from above. In what is literally known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus himself, before he ascends into heaven, instructs those who are his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit, to make disciples, to go and share the gospel. 1 Peter 2, 9 communicates the same idea. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are all those things for what reason? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been saved so that we would proclaim Christ's excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness into light is a necessity from the call of God from above. Just as the Israelites were supposed to be a holy nation of priests in the Old Testament that made God's name known throughout the earth, we have been chosen as a nation of holy priests in Christ to share the gospel with others, to make God's name known throughout the earth. God did not save us for us to be idle. He saved us so we could make his name known. He called us to do that. Paul understood that he had been entrusted with this stewardship, which is why he knew he wasn't deserving of some sort of reward for doing what he was commissioned to do. And the same goes for us. Preaching the gospel is not something special that we do for God. It is an act of obedience to not only the call from within, but to the call from above, the call from God's word for his ultimate glory. I love what John Mott has to say on this call of God to evangelize. He says, We must realize not only that all men need Christ, but that we owe Christ to all men. To have a knowledge of Christ is to incur a tremendous responsibility to those that have it not. You and I have received this great heritage not to appropriate it to our own exclusive use, but to pass it on to others. It concerns all men. We are trustees of the gospel and in no sense sole proprietors. What a colossal crime against the human race to withhold this surpassing knowledge. What a colossal crime it is to keep the world from the knowledge of our Savior by disobeying the call from God. Obey the call from within. The necessity is laid on you. And the call from without. The stewardship has been entrusted to each of us. So that is the rights and the reward, not the reward, the requirements, and now we will move to the reward in verse 18. So uh, this is the third point, a point of application. Paul sums up his argument before going into his approach in the next section. And the next section, which unfortunately we'll have to go to next time um, I preach. Um, but he says, this is the reward, uh, the reward. Paul asked the question, what then is my reward? Instead of money or provision, what is his reward for being obedient and preaching the gospel? It's simply this, that he gets to present the gospel free of charge so as not to abuse his rights in the gospel. That is his reward. 
Paul does not gain some sort of selfish happiness or pride from preaching the gospel for free. No, he is filled with joy because like the obedient servants in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, who stewarded their talents given to them well for the gain of their master, so Paul stewards the gift of the gospel well by giving it to others for free for the glory of his master, Jesus Christ. This act of obedience overflows his heart with joy. And when we are obedient in sharing the gospel with others and are diligent to ensure there are no obstacles, we give glory to our God. We are like the stewards who steward it well for his glory alone, giving the gospel to others free of charge. And when we do this, we are filled with joys, with joy in our heart for the glorification of our God, and that is the only reward that we will ever, ever need. We don't need money. We don't need fame. We don't need rights. We don't need comfort. But let Christ be exalted in our sharing of the gospel. Humbly submit to the gospel by removing all obstacles. Take pleasure in sharing it as a free gift that it is in obedience to the call from God within your heart and the commission of God on your life. And you will get the reward of a joyous heart due to the glory brought to your master's name. So I charge you to humbly herald the gospel to this end to a dying world that sure needs it. This is the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15-18, through 18, which I now commit to your further study and faithful obedience until Christ comes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for graciously giving us the gospel, for saving us through the gospel, for nothing that we did. Thank you. But help us now to see the need in the world, to see the example you have set in Christ, and to humbly submit to the gospel that saved us, to live it out, and to pick up our crosses daily and follow you, sharing the good news the news of death being brought to life, the news that there is hope for lost souls, sharing that news with others out of a loving obedience to you. Lord, give us strength as we go out today to do this and to be faithful to you each day as we look ever forward in anticipation for your return. In Jesus' name, amen.